So, good day and welcome to yet another special edition of the Offside Musings podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Emekonyagwa, I'm delighted to welcome you to this edition of the podcast. We're going to be looking at a, an unfortunate development in the educational sector in Nigeria. More than a month ago, the Academic Staff Union of Universities in Nigeria declared what they called a warning strike for one month. In my mind, I thought this was absurd, that you call a so-called warning strike for as much as a month. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, recently, the association announced that they were going to extend their strike by two months, and they still call it a warning strike. So as we speak, students of universities in Nigeria are sitting home, idling away, their minds being wasted away as the government and lecturers in Nigeria continue to be in a stalemate. And so we're going to look at this. What does it mean for education in Nigeria? What does it mean for the way that our society regards this most important sector, which is critical to the development of any serious society? So I'm going to say welcome to this hopefully rich and thought-provoking conversation. Welcome. The strike. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, warning strike is a month. Um, another one month, another warning strike. Yeah. So yeah. the full strike would be a 10-year event. <laughs> yeah, you know, so uh, of course on February 14, uh, Valentine's Day, that was the uh, ASUS uh, love gift <laughs> to parents, uh, to students, um, to the nation uh, by declaring that they were going on a one-month um, warning strike. So it, it's, it's a kind of, let's see, for me, Part of what's, uh, and there is a lot of blame to go around, and we're going to touch on on just the uh, the breadth of of um, of blame that should go to the government, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll come to that in a moment. But there is a, a general point to be made first. If ASU, a group representing academics, university teachers in Nigeria declare a one-month strike. What does it say? A warning strike. They declared a one-month strike and they said it's a warning strike. By the time students have lost one month in any serious country, any country that takes education seriously, if students lose one month of their educational career, it's a big deal, all right? But in Nigeria, because education is not taken seriously, 
uh, both by educators as well as the government. Um, that's why the, the, the university uh, teachers will declare that they're going to go on strike for a month as a warning. Yeah. But as if to compound that travesty, at the end of one month, uh, I guess they felt they had not made the point uh, perhaps they were not satisfied with the government response. And so they declared, again, not a two-month extension, not a two-month strike, but they said it's another two months of a warning strike. So my first question is, if you're going on a warning strike for a total of three months, then when you go on the real strike, are you going to shut down the entire edifice of tertiary education in Nigeria for maybe two years? Yeah. You know? It used to be like a couple of days, you know, back in the day. It used to be, I'm talking of like 20, 25, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. early 90s, it used to be um, one strike was maybe three days, yeah. two days, something yeah. like that. And that makes sense, you know. So, so this is the kind of thing that uh, one can understand as as warning. Um, now, of course, there is a uh, more substantive question of this disparity in the positions of, uh, you know, the respective positions of the uh, of the union of of teachers, university teachers, and of the government. The university teachers, I think, are asking for 1.2 trillion naira um, in benefits and in investment in universities and so on. The country's minister of labor, um, Chris Ngige, uh, told the... Is it Chris or Emeka? Uh, Chris. Emeka is his younger brother, who is uh, an attorney, Krizingege. Oh, sorry. Oh. Uh, Dr. Krizingege is, uh, is a doctor who was uh, governor of Anambra State. Okay. Uh, right. he's, he's a uh, labor minister. So he um, made the point that the government had uh, uh, given uh, ASU, I think, 92 billion naira. So on the one hand, 92 billion isn't a trifle. It's a handsome uh, amount. But what was the government's initial commitment? And part of this is that there is a dispute over commitments made by the Jonathan administration to uh, lecturers. And uh, essentially what the government is saying is that, you know, that there isn't money. Um there are different ways of, of looking at this, but you know. So, I, but let me pause for now and see what what your take is. But, yeah, you know. So there are different ways of looking at the money issue, right? Yeah. As such. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I, I mean it it's I see it as back in the nineties, right? When strikes became incessant, people coalesced, um, especially around June twelfth, um, nineteen ninety three, the MKL elections that were. The elections that that um, and that you know literally announced MKO as the winner, mm-hmm. 
back in those days you had so much strikes um nobody every three year program was like a five year program or four year pro- you know multiple years got added onto everybody's um and it was it was such a big big deal or such a big issue um you know you had civil societies that cared about being on the other side they didn't want to be in government at that time um they still had a few of them bangida had literally destroyed most of them um and that's what that that in, in that era you had people you know you had society that cared about kids going to that's a little bit of care i don't say so much um it doesn't feel that way now and it just i mean if we were dancing around it in the 90s um we seem to have produced a, a a large amount of um of of graduates or people that went to colleges and universities and secondary schools and so on and so forth who um you know to put it nicely below standard like nobody really cares yeah, anymore yeah yeah well so my take is um that um governments uh should take their the obligations that they enter into seriously all right mm-hmm. so and it doesn't matter if it was a previous government jonathan's government uh or or basanjo's government or yaradua's administration when the government makes a commitment to any sector in the country that commitment should have it should have weight so if it is something flimsy which your successor is at liberty to uh renege upon then uh, so nigerian governments would then not be taken seriously either by domestic actors of foreign ones okay a country ought to be able to enter into agreements and with the understanding that successive governments administrations are going to um fitfully implement uh those agreements uh so that should say something about the quality of negotiations on both sides all right so that if 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 the government has to negotiate with any sector uh in the country about levels of investment in that sector uh it is important that those who are doing the negotiating on the part of the government have a broad overview of current um uh revenue levels as well as projections of revenue levels in future and they should actually Uh, account for fluctuations in revenue levels all right so again is a country that is not serious in in any sector if the government just the government 5 years ago or something will get into an agreement and then 6 years down the line its successor is saying we don't have the money to meet the agreements that were entered into So there is a huge gap between the 1.2 trillion naira that Asu 
wants to see the government plow into uh, benefits and educational investment, and the 92 billion, which on the one hand will sound impressive, but given the disparity uh, with um, uh, apparently the commitments that were made to ASU, you know, pales. So, so that's one question. That's that is almost like the least important part of this. The question then is, um, if a country takes education seriously, which no country has made any progress without investing massively in education, the edge that India has in the world today, that China has, that Japan has, that a lot of Western countries have, there is no other magic wand. It is that you invest in the educational sector. Okay, um, Nigeria and Nigerian government sort of see education as, um, they, they see it in very cynical ways. They see it as uh, people who go to, to speak grammar. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, They see it as some... Uh, eggheads, eggheads, as they say in Nigeria, who are you know obsessed with um, some kind of abstract um, activity of the mind, um, and so so we've we've um, as you rightly said, you know, for for decades now, Nigerian students have gone into university with no certainty as to when they can expect to graduate. So sometimes you go to do a four-year program and you come out seven years later. Some people would come out eight years later on account of strikes. I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, it's painful. It's really, really painful, you know, um, because uh, it's the sort of thing that makes you think almost that Nigeria is a wasted project. Yeah, I mean, yeah. L- largely, look, if you if you think about it, um, it's not, I mean, tertiary university education and onward is, is, is supposed to be, um, but the last, or, you know, the last, um, just then, yeah, after that, is, it's, it's, but when you go back into secondary, um, you know, secondary, if you're in America, high school, middle school, but secondary, primary, and so on. It, it more than any other thing. It seems like um, it's completely filled. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a time at least they tried to patch it up after go on. They tried to make the unity schools. I went to one of them. I went to um, I went to one of those unity schools, which when it, at that time was really hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had all those what were quote unquote uh, Jack on Day schools. You know, um, essentially, it was um, a continuation of Jack on the schools, was supposedly a continuation of um, the Awolo uh, uh, policy, um, European of free education, which you know was a great thing because coming from where the um, um, the society in the southwest had been having free education of any quality of any standard was great. At the same time, it was also uh, a watered down version of education still. But at least coming from there at that time, um, and I'm saying that because when you now get into the Jack on Day period, the Jack on Day period um, was a clone of the Awolowo period. But it, 
there was no updates in my opinion. This is just mm. you know, given an overlistic view of it. There was no real update of the Awolo War period. Mm-hmm. It was now the, a substandard thing that you had in the eighties, and you know, it ends up producing um, a whole bunch of um, of of substandard people going into universities. Um, you start relying on connections who you knew to get into school. Um, I saw it in, in the 90s when I was in secondary school. Um, I had to score amongst the top in the country to come into schools. And you have a lot of people who came in in the second, third batch. In fact, they denied me my place. at first. They, they gave me my place, then they took away my place. Um, I scored, I think in my back then the common entrance was probably about 601 was the highest in my in my time. Based on that score, I don't know how it goes now. Um, I scored like a 551. Mm. I was like top 20, my um, top 10 in my secondary, my primary school. But getting into secondary school, it took my place, took me a while to get there. And getting there, I discovered that um, like almost half of the people who, maybe not half, I'd say maybe like a quarter of the people who were there were not there on merit. You know, and it go the cycle goes on. You start having people. You get into um, universities in Nigeria, where even though English is supposed to be supposed to be the um, standard language, mm-hmm. you find a large amount of people in tertiary. In tertiary, let's broadly call it tertiary secondary school, polytechnics, and so on and so forth. A large amount of people who can communicate or and write. Um, acceptable English and mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing we see in even though you know there's the, there's a the flip side to it you get uh, you see all these people come out you talk about Nigerian uh, diaspora and people in America in the UK we talk about it uh, or they do great they do you know for a lot of people they get they, they, they either come from maybe private systems or they find a way of measuring up when they get here but for a large amount of them you discover that they struggle in a lot of these places, why? Because even the most basic um, of basic of communications, even the most basic of maybe even letter writing, you were talk we're talking about um, your father and an essay you wrote. Um, um, what's the name of that essay? Um, well, no, I, I have an essay um, about my father called "My Father's English Friend." Yes, and um, yeah, so this is uh, it's sort of a little aside, but um, the point is. Uh, pertinent only because it speaks to the standard of of uh, quality of education at one point in our country. Uh, so my father had only a standard six education educational level, but during World War Two he met uh, an Englishman who was actually the command the commanding officer for his uh, signals corps unit in Burma. And uh, so at the end of the war, he and the man took up correspondence for almost 50 years until my father's death. And so uh, when I went to see the man in, in, in the UK, after my father died, um, he said to me, what university did your father attend? I said, my father didn't even do uh, secondary school, much less university. I said, he stopped at standard six. And the man said to me, but your father wrote so beautifully, you know, which indeed he did. Um, but that says something about um, um, uh, the quality of language instruction. I, I, I will tell you a story. I'll tell you a quick story. So uh, in 2001, 2002, um, 
I, my wife and I had Fulbright's uh, award from the U.S. government to go teach in Nigeria. So we were both teaching at the University of Lagos, and I was teaching in the English department. And so teaching a third-year English class, and uh, so one day I was, you know, I walk into every class before I start, I'll ask the students uh, to turn off their phones uh, because I didn't want uh, the interruption when the class was on. But invariably, lots of students would just leave their phones on. So here I was teaching, and then a young uh, woman, a um, student in my class, her phone just went off. Like two minutes after I had just warned somebody else whose phone went off. And so I asked her to stand up, and she stood. I said, were you just not here when I said that everybody should switch off your phones? And she said to me, sir, I thought I off it. (laughs) So I said to her, off it is bad English. She looked at me and she said, I thought I offed it. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided, let me speak like her. I said, off it is bad English. And she just stood there looking at me. It's like, okay, I've said, off it. You rejected that. I said, off it. You rejected that. And it was shocking, shocking, that somebody who was a third-year English student was at that level of ignorance, a level of poor understanding of basic language, okay, that she didn't know that off it, I off it. And you know, it's, it's become part of the norm. Nigerians now say to you, off the light, on the light, you know? Um, uh, and the, 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 the bigger scandal actually was that um, I gave an exam. Um, I had taught them the class, the, the novel, Chino Achebe's classic, Things Fall Apart. And I asked the, uh, what I'll consider the, um, uh, the uh, the easiest possible question you could ask on that novel. So I just said, I want the students to have fun, you know, exploring this novel. So I said, I asked them to account for Okonkwo's tragic downfall. <laughs> I think okay? everybody's right. Yeah, so, you know, to look at uh, the factors that led to Okonkwo's tragedy in the novel. And a student wrote exactly one paragraph and I paraphrase what she wrote happened to be a female student she said the Bible tells us to be good because if we're not good we'll fail and so Okonkwo did not listen to the Bible so Okonkwo fell and so that is why it's good to listen to the Bible so that you don't fall like Okonkwo Uh so my advice is that Okonkwo should have listened to the Bible because if I listened this is what this student wrote in one paragraph to my question. And I didn't, when I read it, uh, it, it occurred to me that this was obviously a student who not, not, didn't even come to class. Because if she had come to class, she would have, she would have evinced uh, at least a modicum of, of interesting understanding of the question and of the novel and so on. But that was another tragedy that um, 
uh, I'll tell you another story that happened around then. So uh, the semester was ending. I think I had three classes left in the semester. And the class rep came to me and said, Ah, sir, there is, um, there's a woman uh, who says uh, she's from your hometown and she's in class. So I said, no, I've never met somebody from my hometown. This was for the evening students, you know, so typically adult students who had jobs and then will come for night classes. So I said, no, I've not seen any such person. She said, oh, you know, yeah, she, uh, she's never been to class, but she says she'll come and see you. So I said, why is she coming to see me? She said, ah, you know, she just found out that you are from the same hometown, so she's coming to see you. So I said, well, tell her not to bother. I said, I have no conversation to have with her. Um, I'm a teacher, um, and so if she's not taking my classes, there's no point for her to... I said, has she dropped the class? She said, oh, no. I said, tell her not to take exams because she will fail. She said to me, ah, sir, she's, uh, she's in the customs, She's a customs officer, and so customs, uh, her employers don't give her time. So I, t- I said to the class rep, I said, then tell her if her employers don't give her time and she can't make classes, she should drop the course. And then the class rep said, but, sir, but she needs the degree. I said, then if she needs the degree, she must make a choice. Leave your job, or if you need your job and you can't leave it, but your job doesn't allow you to come to classes. I said, there are only three classes left in the semester. This, the class met twice a week. Three classes left. And this young woman was coming to see me. And I said, there is no grading criterion that says hometown of the lecturer. Uh, so if you are from the lecturer's hometown, then you get a certain grade. So I said, there's no point Even if she came to me and she were a genius and she said, oh, I'm going to read all the books you've read and I'm going to uh, read all the notes that people copied, I'll say, tell her you have not been educated in this class, so don't bother. Um, And uh, so so I told told the class rep, I said, tell her that she will fail. She said, "Ah, God will not allow. I said, God does not participate in your stupidity. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I said, if you haven't gone to classes, you will fail. You know, so anyway, it, it's, it's, you know, so there are all kinds of stories, but the essential thing is that in the end, um, the, the whole brouhaha over um, the ASU strike, which began with one month, is now apparently extended to two months, is, is a, it's, it's a disaster, it's a travesty. But even if that particular specific dispute were to be resolved tomorrow and classes started, the point that I want to make is that there is a monumental crisis in our educational system which the government and all Nigerians who are invested in education need to pause and address all right. Uh, what is the content of education? What is the purpose of education in our country? How are those? Uh, how is that purpose being served, if any? Right. Um, um, 
what role do the educated uh, segment of Nigeria play in the affairs of that country, right? So you and I have been talking about this subject for weeks, you know, um, off the camera, obviously. Yeah. And we decided that this was important. You know, so there is uh, this whole thing. Um, uh, I think they are called um, super centers or something. Yes. You know, uh, these are special centers in Nigeria. So this is, this is really how bad things are. So I was shocked when I learned this uh, about a year ago visiting Nigeria. And somebody was just talking and mentioned, um, thing, I think they call it super centers. I said, oh, you know, um, if parents have money, they register their wards, their uh, children in special centers for either jam exams or YEC exams and so on. So I said, what are these centers? And I was told that, these are centers where you pay a lot of money, at least far more money than you pay in other centers where you sit exams. And once you pay, the center itself would provide um, uh, uh, other students to come sit the exam for your children or the invigilators, the people who are given the task of ensuring the students don't cheat at their exams, will then start giving them the answers for multiple choice for a fee. So the invigilator will take a fee. And uh, as the uh, supervisors for the supervisor, for those, yeah. the supervisor, and give answers to these students and allow other people to come in and give answers to the students. And it's a it's it's a it's apparently a, 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 a you know universally known practice in Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so what is what it says therefore is that we have a broken country. Okay, um, again, when I was at Unilag, um, I actually interfaced with a, a lecturer uh, who told me that. You know, the students who are not interested in studying, so he said, that's why we we uh, we take money from them or we sleep with them and we give them grades. So I said, you do? And he said, oh, yeah, they don't want to study. And I said to him, is it possible that you don't want to teach? You know, um, so that, as you know, there are lots and lots of stories, you know, and in a moment I'm going to tell the story of... Um, uh, you could you could tell us more of what you learned from your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I've told you some of uh, some of the really absurd um, stories, and and I tell the stories. They're actually stories that I'm working on uh, for a book, um, simply because they they point to the depth of of devastation in the educational sector in Nigeria. So as I said. Uh, a lecturer at Unilaga told me that, um, yeah, the students were not serious. So, you know, to, he was justifying uh, doing what's widely known as sorting, okay, <laughs> where uh, parents uh, um, actually provide funds uh, for their, for their, um, for their student, uh, children to bribe lecturers for grades. Yeah. during exam season. 
and of course um, we we know that there's this plague of um, of of sexual misconduct by lots and lots of lecturers, uh, mostly male, but I understand that some female lecturers also participate in all of this, exploiting their students sexually for grades. Um, and um, so 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 I walked into my first class, um, having had this encounter with this lecturer who told me that um, yeah that it was. It was normal to accept or to give uh, to accept money for grades. So I said to my students, I taught three classes at Unilag. So I spoke to each of the three classes and I said to them, "Listen, I've heard this story. Uh, I want you to know that um, I take my job as a as your teacher seriously." I said, "I want to make the subject literature exciting for you." Um, and I said, but I want you to meet me halfway. I'm going to work very, very hard, but I want you to work hard as well. I said, but I want you to understand so that uh, you won't say at the end that you were not one from the outset. I said, I don't accept any financial or sexual gratification from my students, from anybody for that matter, and so I thought I had given fair warning. <laughs> um, so a few uh, weeks into the semester, I finished teaching one night class, and um, I would drive my, you know, I would drive my way myself home to, you know, where where my my family and I were residing. So as so I was getting into my car, two women uh, walked up to me. This was an, a night class and said, Oh, sir, could you give us a ride to the gate of Unilag, you know, which is a ways from, from the classroom. So I said, sure, get in the car. So as soon as I got in the car, they said to me, sir, did you mean, uh, what you said you would, that, you know, uh, that you didn't take sexual or financial gratification from students? I said, of course I find such conduct contemptible. So they said to me that there are some women in their class. These are adult women, by the way, and that they get by by bribing uh, lecturers with their bodies. And that those women had said that I'll be the easiest to fall. So I said to them, well, um, the only way I fall if, is if they were able to rape me. And I said, <laughs> I said it's not going to be easy. <laughs> I said it's not going to be easy and um, so I dropped them off at the gate and uh, waved them off and uh, went home the next week I finished classes and this young beautiful student came to me and said sir could you give me a ride I assumed that she was going to the uh, gate that that's of Unilag so I asked her to get in the, in the car. So she got in the car, and of course there was traffic within the campus from all the students, uh, again, who are adult students who have their own cars and who took classes and were going home. And also some men coming in to you know, pick women up from the campus. So a considerable traffic jam. And so the car was moving slowly. And suddenly this student in my passenger seat pointed to a building, and she says, that's my dormitory. 
So for a moment, I thought I misheard. I said to her, are you saying that's where you stay? She said, yeah, that's my dormitory. So in my mind, I said, then why is she in my car? Where am I taking her? So I pulled the car to the side of the road. And I said, okay, good night. And so she sat there looking at me and she says to me, sir, are you serious that I should get down? And I said to her, this is your dorm, right? She said, yes. I said, yeah, get down and go to your dorm. And she said to me, uh, sir, what will I go and do there? And I said, it is not my business to tell you what you do in your room. I said, but since you asked already, go and read the next book that we'll read for next week. <laughs> and she said, is that all? So I, I, at this point, I raised my voice. I said, please get out of my car. My family is waiting for me at home to have dinner. Get out. So she got out. So oh, what I didn't tell is that so that my first day in class, to show the students my commitment to teaching, after telling them that I will not accept sexual or financial bribes, I wrote my telephone number, my mobile number on the board. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I teach any book, any uh, literary concept, and you don't understand it, please call me on this number. I said, I'll make as much time as possible to sit down and explain things to you until it's clear to you, right? So as, as a, a mark of my commitment. So all my students had my number. So I was driving and then I got flashed twice. So flashing is, again, Nigerian language for when somebody calls you and cuts off the phone so that you call them back and you take the cost. Yes. So I didn't know who this person was, but I said, okay, I could afford to call them back. So I called back and it was this woman that I had left on the campus. So she said to me, sir, you dropped me here and there is nothing happening. So I said to her, so what would you want to happen? And she said, uh, sir, I want to uh, sit down and talk with you. And I said, and, uh, and, and where are we going to do this talk? She said, sir, anywhere you want. And I said, and what are we going to be talking about? She said, life in general. <laughs> <laughs> so I told her, I said, listen, I don't teach life in general. I teach literature. And I said, if you have a question about life in general, maybe some philosopher would understand it. <laughs> so I said, you should take it to some philosopher. But if you have a literature question, I said, bring it to class. And she said to me, sir, is it a crime to love? I said, it depends on who is doing the loving. She said, she was. And I said, and who are you loving? She said, she was loving me. So I said, no, you can't love me because I'm married. And she said, sir, but I'm not asking you to leave your wife. So I said to her, I'm not going to let you borrow me from my wife for even a second. And I said, if you don't like that answer, my wife also teaches at Unilag in the art department. I said, go there and tell her that you would like to borrow her husband. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife would have uh, biancaed her, you know, if you know what I mean, <laughs> um, giving her what we call in Nigeria a dirty slap. But I said to her, but if it turned out that my wife was on, in, in a comedic mode and she told you, yeah, go and borrow my husband, I said, still, I'm not available to you, period. And then she said, sir, why do you hate me so much? So I said to her, I don't hate you, nor do I love you. I said, you are my student. My 
only interest in you is as a student, as your teacher. And I said, so as long as you have questions related to literature, to the books and the concept that I'm teaching, I'm interested. I said, beyond that, um, you, you are absent to me. And she said to me, I saw you give a ride last week to two women. You can't tell me that nothing happened. So I said to her, I could actually tell you that easily. I said, those two women asked me to drop them off at the gates at Unilag. I dropped them off. They took some other form of public transportation to go to their various destinations. So I said to her, when you asked me for a ride, I assumed I was dropping you at the gate at Unilag. When I found out that you lived on campus and you were in my car, I stopped the car and asked you to, to get off. It's interesting that in the course of the semester, this young woman will call me from time to time. And on one occasion, she called me and said, Ah, sir, it's not good though, that you are wicked in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. you know? So I'd never seen a situation where a student was more insistent, so insistent, that she wanted to be sexually exploited for grade. And so some years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, in, in Abuja, and uh, he said to me a phrase that I wrote an article about, which is not original to me. He said, yeah, that a lot of students in Nigeria have sexually transmitted degrees sexually mm -hmm. transmitted degrees. And pause and think about it for a moment. It's often a matter of comedy for some people, right? Yep. But understand that amongst those who have slept their ways to degrees are medical students. So imagine going to be treated by a doctor who should have flunked from medical school, but who slept her way or his way to a degree, mm -hmm. and you are sick, and it is this ignorant entity. Or bribe their ways. Or bribe their ways. It is this ignorant person who is treating you. And I have a relative. I have um, a relative, actually, who basically, I would say, was a victim, died from medical malpractice. You know, he was in a major um, hotel in Abuja. He f took ill. He couldn't breathe. He was having problems breathing. He was rushed to the hospital, to the hotel's clinic. And the doctor there, okay, mm -hmm. said to him, okay, I'm going to give you medication and gave him sleep medication. If somebody has problems breathing, the last thing you want is to put the person to sleep. It's a death sentence. By the, man, the, by the time the man got in the, um, in the elevator to go back to his room, he slumped there. Mm. And he was rushed to the National Hospital in Abuja, accompanied by his wife. His wife was told to go back to the hotel that they will admit the husband by the time she got back to the, hospital, to the hotel, she got a call that her husband had died. So 
this could have been a duck because this is this is on every level incompetent but this could have been one of those doctors who bribed with her body or with cash to get a medical degree we have so many instances of buildings of bridges collapsing in nigeria mm-hmm. what is to say that the structural engineer who oversaw those bridge uh, the, the those structures did not bribe his or her way to a degree all right and i remember years ago watching on nigerian television you know um a new bridge had just been commissioned and they um the structural engineer who supervised the building of the bridge was interviewed by a journalist and they said one journalist said oh you know so is this uh, bridge structurally strong and the engineer said uh, by the power of god <laughs> okay and it struck me immediately i said no you can be an atheist a non-believer and build a bridge it is a matter of engineering quantities you know uh you know what to do to make a, a bridge structurally durable right to take the weight that it should withstand um uh god should not be in the business of going under to hold the bridge up but we we have um this absurdity where a student a third year student of english is now using the word i offed my phone where a doctor confronted with a patient who cannot breathe is telling the patient i'm going to put you to sleep and therefore kills the patient or where an engineer is saying yeah it's uh, it's up to god to hold up the bridge <laughs> that i built so but it really speaks to this a uh, dimension of of absolute internal collapse of our educational sector which is a symptom of a broader collapse a broader malaise uh in, in our country i was speaking with um uh a, a professor of philosophy and i joined professor of philosophy in south africa and he said something that is was disturbing for me but true and he said okay you and i grew up in Niger- in nigeria where there were still standards okay some standards where 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 yeah where there were some standards um i mean my parents my parents would not have countenanced the idea of giving any of their children money to go and bribe teachers my parents even if they didn't have much money but even if my parents were billionaires if you said to them send your children to a center where somebody else will come and sit an exam for them they would say okay if my children cannot make it on their own let them you know go and push barrel in the market mm-hmm. okay yep but now that when i was at unilag a student there said to me oh yeah you know the student gave me the name sorting he said is well known practice okay that every exam season students go home to their parents say that hey exams will start next week and the parents count money and give to their children knowing that this money is to bribe lecturers for grades and i'm saying and people have not blown the whistle 
issued a red card and stayed, said, let's start over. This game has no meaning. So, so as we, which is part of why we said we better talk about this ASU crisis. Yep. Because let's say tomorrow, Bill Gates decides to give Nigeria $1 billion out of his massive uh, resources. And so the Nigerian government can turn around and give ASU all the money they want. Is it going to even touch the problem? No. There is a systemic, cultural, moral crisis in Nigerian education, which is which is um, uh, a, a, a kind a symptomatic of a broader moral crisis in Nigeria. You know, so so it's it's like. Because on the one hand, I was thinking about, yeah, this whole idea of parents giving their words money, right? Mm-hmm. But how dare a parent, many parents say no to their children, right? If you're a civil servant and your salary can afford, you know, can get you, uh, at best, a fairly used car, but in your compound you have 10 cars, if your salary uh, would fetch you a modest house, but your children know that you have homes in America, in London, and you have mansions in Nigeria, your children know you've stolen it. So you have no moral authority to say to them, we want to steal a grade. Give us money to go and steal a grade. And you say, you, the father or the mother cannot start lecturing the students and say, oh no, you know, work hard and so on. Because the Nzani Madukit ride. Yeah, yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, with, she, with she all, called, her, she called, all her bras. She called Nigeria youth all kinds of, which, yes. you know, it's just a cat of calling the pot yeah, blood, yeah, but precisely. anyway. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, so it's, it's like if you had the Nzani as a mother, okay, and, uh, you, you know, you are in a Nigerian university or some other institution, uh, is Dezani going to say to you, sit down and it's important, let me t- talk to you about the uh, importance of hard work. You should actually earn everything that you want. You should work hard and get it the legitimate, clean way. Okay? So, but if, if I... If I tend to stress the educational sector, it is not to suggest that other sectors in Nigeria are good. It is simply to say that once you lose the educational sector in any society, you've lost everything. So even if Nigeria got a great healthcare system, had great infrastructure, but there is this corruption in education where students uh, have uh, have other people sitting exams for them, and they graduate with degrees they 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 cannot defend, and they get jobs on the basis of that. That's a great recipe for the internal collapse of 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 any given society. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would say you know to be factual, if you go back to the British. Um, and yeah, you know, I know a lot of people will be like, but if you go back, uh, historical, just you go back to the British and the way they, they decided to educate in Caucasus, you go back right from um, their, their plans. If you go back and read um, um, the case of the African slave trade by um, 
what's his name again? Uh, he's the one that wrote the blueprint for colonization. And then you come in, um, uh, Thomas Hall Boxing, mm-hmm. and you come into how they they implemented the plan. You go into the Ajayi Crowders and all those things. You come into um, down. You read um, uh, Lord Lugard, who is given the credits, which really should be uh, Goldie and um, Chamberlain, mm-hmm. Joseph Chamberlain, who was the colonial secretary, and Goldie, who actually had the company, but he made sure he destroyed um, his his uh, imprint and image and told his two children, his daughter and his son, never to cooperate with anybody writing his biography. So we always give uh, Lugard, the this thing with Lugard and uh, Flora Shaw. Mm-hmm. But you go and read all of them. Flora Shaw, Lugard, Margaret Parham, who was with Lugard's biographer as well. You see their plan to, on how to educate people. You see the, the, the continuous uh, thought process in um, how they want to educate people, take out, um, is educate people enough that they are functional at the lower level yeah. was the intention. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's not that um, uh, Nigerians generally haven't taken over power; they have, but they are. They, they, you have this class of people who once they are in that class or they get into that class, and the intent for them is to keep. Uh, miseducating or undereducating to, to maintain their class privilege. Exactly. You know? so, so, and they they obviously um, they they pack their themselves and their children. Just like we started off, they won't. They don't send their kids there. Mm-hmm. There was a bill that they were trying to pass the other day about if you're in public office in Nigeria, you should you should um, send your kids to, to school Nigeria. in Nigeria. But obviously, nobody wants to. Everybody yeah. has their their life packed mm-hmm. in. Um, 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 everybody, um, you know, even the ones coming in, or maybe they had a change of heart. You know, some people are happy with even a solo. Do I remember seeing his mansion in London with his, by the way, just by the way, doesn't mean, but I do remember seeing um, solo is the flavor of the month. So that's why it came to me. Um, I do remember seeing his mansion when he was CBN governor in London, um, all those kind of things. Everybody parks their kids, even though he was a professor in UN and came through. Uh, UNN, but everybody packs their kids, most especially in the UK, which by no, not even in America, more so in the UK. I think at one point in time, about 20 years ago, they said Nigeria used to, um, was about a billion pounds a year in school fees, mm-hmm. not to talk of the other and, and costs and, of and going to school. We have huge uh, medical tourism uh, outlays, you know, so we. We basically fund healthcare in, uh, in, in the other UK. countries. Yeah, UK, yeah. India, yeah. other places. So you, you see those things and we just keep continuing it and not just continuing it, it's in such... And yes, I know we produce, I think in spite of all this, we produce people who maybe their parents had sent them abroad or they were uh, people who wanted to be true students um, you know, study and and actually um, spend their time um, using a large part of their time to be to gain some knowledge mm-hmm. and still play. In some cases, I have friends like that who use a large part of their time to study and play. But you know, it's it to me, it's more of in spite of that. You we've come up with people like that. We've also had private institutions which. Um, have catered to certain people both in primary and this thing that are better off or you see it in the Nigerian context people send their kids to Ghana to Benin Republic to Togo South Africa South Africa mm-hmm. small countries mm-hmm. 
to and it's a it's a thing of pride. Yes. To be able to say yes. you sent yes. your child yes. to Ghana to school. Precisely. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean there are um you made two very key points. Um uh there was a, a video early in the in the strike by ASU where students went to meet the Nigerian Minister of Education and uh, they poured out their hearts to him and they told him that, you know, they, they, they were sick and tired of the disruptions in their uh, academic uh, careers. And then they reminded the minister himself that, you know, his own children went to school abroad and that, you know, he's seen taking pictures uh, which were plastered on social media celebrating his children's graduation from schools uh, that are well run in foreign countries. And, you know, he just got up and basically dismissed them and walked away. All right? Um, so that's, that's something to ponder, you know. And, you know, you and I stress this point again and again when we speak, especially to our youth, you know, who listen to this podcast. And that's why we, we say to you, please do not compromise in the political choices that you make. Do not serve those who are destroying your lives, who have destroyed it in the past, who are destroying it today, who will destroy it with certainty tomorrow. Don't do that. It's not in your interest. Even if you received money, ultimately you're receiving money to cooperate in your own self-destruction. You know? Um, and so... They, 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 um, the, the, the other point that I, I, I that I think um, is, is, is needs further exploration that you just made is the very roots of you know what's become education in Nigeria. The colonial introduction. The British wanted an educated core that would be disconnected from the generality of Nigerians who would actually see themselves as mini British officials, okay? Mm -hmm. And so from the very moment of its, from the very original moment of education in Nigeria, you, you, you found the educated elite who saw themselves as um, set apart from the people that they should belong to. Two, okay? And that's what's happening today at every level of Nigerian society. That when you make somebody a governor, the first thing is let me go and buy property uh, abroad. Let me move all my children there. Um, let's put away, steal as much money as possible so we'll never have suffered the indignity of going to hospitals in Nigeria, of my children going to schools in Nigeria. So when you are entrusting the management of your affairs to people who don't want the prospect of having their children go to school in that space, having their themselves or their families be treated in the hospitals, who don't uh, believe, who, who don't even want to tie the road, something as basic as that, then you're making the wrong choice. You're making the wrong choice. But that's the kind of elite, an elite that sees itself in the same way that the British, so the British at least, British officials were plundering the resources of Nigeria, but they were doing this essentially in the name of the Queen, right? So they were stealing for their country. They 
paradox and the irony is that Nigerian officials who took over began to plunder the resources of their country in the name of themselves, but they deposit much of their loot in Britain and outside of the country. So you have a country that is broken in the educational sector, broken in every other sector, um, a country where, um, you know, the police, you know, the police, the customs, they, uh, the just civil servants who will give you a passport form to apply for a passport, right? Um, I know it's now done online, but uh, there used to be a time when you go, you know, when I came to America, I wanted a passport form. They said, oh, uh, the forms are finished. Meanwhile, they had hundreds of forms. They had to force you to provide a bribe. Then you submit it. They'll tell you the man who will process your form has just started his leave today. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you bring money, we'll go to his house and have him stamp the thing. Meanwhile, the man is in the office. Okay? So you had to bribe to have the man stamp your... So we've created a country where abnormality has been normalized, you know, to use that phrase by, you know, Fever by Ngugi Wationgo. Yeah. Here we have um, in every sector, yeah. all right, um, in our infrastructure, there's either the absence or, near, or, or substandardness of that infrastructure, okay? They, um, they, uh, the judiciary and the ways in which Judges have made themselves, a lot of judges, too many judges have made themselves available to be bought and sold. Um, that the police has become some unit that you don't fear. So you can actually commit crime in front of police officers. So, so you know, so, as, um, so we have a country where every sector uh, is far from what it should be far from what a functioning uh, society, the standards of a functioning society uh, should dictate. Um, so you have the judiciary where judges are available, too many judges available to be bought uh, with cash, um, where the police uh, will become accessories to crime and there where criminals no longer fear the police, if they ever did. Um, you find electoral officials who would declare the wrong, uh, the loser as the winner uh, in exchange for cash. Um, you find roads that are not constructed or terribly constructed. And uh, you know the contractor who did this really terrible job is paid uh, far more than, you know, um, Contractors should expect to, to, to be paid if they did, did a good job. So all of this, you know, we find um, just systemic uh, collapse uh, all around. But they, any attempt to uh, pull Nigeria up from their bees must first fix the educational crisis. Um, otherwise, what we're going to have 
unless we fix this system where people can buy their ways to degrees and to diplomas and so on, if we don't fix it, and if we don't reimagine our education, okay, invest in paying uh, productive teachers at every level, good salaries so that we attract the best into the teaching professions from kindergarten to tertiary level. Uh, if we don't do this, then we're going to have a country that sinks deeper and deeper into the abyss. And so ultimately what we're going to have is what Ngugi Wationgo calls the normalization of abnormality. Yeah, yeah. It's intuitive. It's very intuitive. It's um, just the reality. Um, we have a society where um, the, you, the more you can claim it's certificate chasing, you know, mm -hmm. title chasing, certificate mm -hmm. chasing. If you read the beginning of uh, fact, that's the first chapter in um, uh, Wally Schenker's new book mm -hmm. where, you know, <laughs> he makes fun of it where people just list all kinds of PSI, PCC, DDD. Yep. If you even um, saw a picture of Harvard, you put it there, yeah, I saw a picture of Harvard. So it's painful. It's really painful to consider. It's ab uh, absolutely. I, I will end with a, a story, all another, right. another Unilag story. So I was, one of the three classes I taught at Unilag was uh, uh, Introduction to Creative Writing. Uh, that class met once a week. And so five weeks into the semester, I walked into class, a small class of 15 students, and I saw a student who would come for the first time. So I said to her, so who are you? She said she was in this class. I said, okay, you have to go and drop the class. Uh, she said, ah, sir, I take God, beg you, you know, Nigerians are quick to invoke God. So I said to her, nope. I said, this is not a correspondence class. You have missed the first five classes. Every, every week I gave several assignments to the class. You've missed those. She said, ah, sir, I can, you know, make up those assignments. So, you know, so going back and forth, trying to get her to leave the class, so it was taking too much time. So I said, okay, I'm going to talk to you during the, during the break. So... So we came to break and I called and I said, really, listen, there's no way you're going to meet up. She said, sir, trust me, I'll meet up. I said, okay, I'll give you a week to come up with all the assignments that everybody has done over five weeks. If you can do it and you pass on those assignments, then I'll leave you in class. So the next week, she didn't show up. The following week again, she didn't show up. So I said, okay, she's gone her way. So one day I was in front of my office at Unilag and I saw somebody waving to me. And uh, I waved back at her and then she came. And it was this same student. So I said to her, I hope you have dropped my class now because there is no way you've missed two more classes. So she said to me, oh yeah, you know, I went to drop your class because... Um, I said, yeah, I knew you couldn't make it up, the ground that you lost. She said, oh, that's not it, sir. Um, she said, I would have paid some of my classmates to do the assignment for me. I said, you would have paid somebody else to do your assignment? She said, uh -huh, now, I'm a businesswoman. Where do you think I find the time to do the work? Uh, but there are students in class who need the money, so I pay them. I said, you pay for somebody else to do your work? She said, and she got 
I mean, she was saying, responding in a way which meant, of course, that's how what she should do, right? So, so she said to me uh, that she's in interior decoration, and uh, that was her business, and that she's so busy. So I said, then why are you looking for a degree? She said, oh, you know, in our society, nobody respects you unless you have that degree on, on, in hand. Um, anyway, so she said to me that she could have paid somebody to do the papers, but that my student said I was not reasonable. So she went and joined a class where she was guaranteed an A. So not being reasonable is that they said I was a, a tough grader. So she decided, okay, I could pay people to do this assignment, but maybe this professor is not going to give me an A. So let me go join another class where I'll pay and get an A. So that kind of person is going to be seen parading a degree from the University of Lagos, one of the country's Nigeria's premier universities. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then you give her a simple sentence structure and she would absolutely know nothing about how to deal with it because she has done no work. She paid for it. And as I said, the tragedy is that there are people paying for degrees in medicine, in engineering, in architecture, and other disciplines. And the decisions they make affect our lives directly. The decision somebody has a degree in English makes or in geography in history, if that that degree is bought, is that they could turn into teaching and they are teaching children nothing but ignorance. And so what we have then is that we have a society that reproduces, reproduces incompetence and failure and ignorance. And there was a story I was going to tell sometime about what a professor friend of mine in Nigeria who teaches uh, philosophy in South Africa told me, which is that he and I were born at a time when Nigeria still had a sense of standard, some sense of standard. He said there are students today, there are young men and women who are in their 30s, who grew up in Nigeria where standards uh, were seen as an irritation, as an annoyance, okay? And so they regard paying for something or slipping your way into something as the normal, normative way of doing business in the world. And that, I'm afraid, is the crisis in our educational system. So beyond the ASU warning strike, what we need actually is a warning whistle that says stop the constitution of a serious commission to study the crisis in the educational sector in Nigeria, to begin there, the slow, arduous, but urgent task of reclaiming Nigeria. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. And probably we'll still do um, Another, more episodes yeah. on. I mean, it's exhaustive, man. When, they, when people get here, they get to other countries where there's a modicum of standards. It doesn't happen. Yes, there's racism in places, but that's to be their go-to. I didn't get the job because they're, uh, hold on. No, because you can't send a simple email anybody can understand. That's why you didn't get the job. But we could go on and on. and We definitely will have um, 
all our episodes because it's very pertinent to point it out and point out the miseducation of people because that's the root cause of of how we seem to be having a a, a variation mm-hmm. of Stockholm syndrome, which mm-hmm. is you know we are in love with our captives, our, our suffering, yeah. and 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 as as you just said, you know, uh, people forget easily uh, when you get awarded a degree. Uh, usually the formula that is used at the award ceremony and the commemoration um, is to say that you've been found uh, worthy in learning and character. So it's not just uh, the cognitive dimension of education, it is the ethical uh, component of it. So to, to be really educated is to be firmly rooted and comfortable and to have um, a, you know a command of you know ideas and principles in a discipline and to have the equipment for thinking around problems but it's also to have an ethical grounding okay so when you are paying for your certificate or your degree already we find an absence of the cognitive component, but also we found we find a deeply, deeply troubling absence of the ethical uh, dimension. Well said. And with that, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to uh, seeing you again next time. Effectus. Mm-hmm.